Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network, and I am your host, Sheree Sims, mama to six beautiful heavens, ages 13, 11, 10, 7, and twin five-year-olds. I am an early educator, a teacher trainer, PBS early learning champion, and I still don't know what the hell I'm doing half the time with these kids, but I try my best. And I am here with my friends as we're all in this parenting journey together, trying to learn from one another and sharing with you the things that I know, the things I try and have worked. And sometimes y'all, I am just venting to you about what's not working or how I'm feeling. So as always, I like to start with the pit and peak of my day. It's part of the way that I maybe vent or just connect with you guys. And the pit of my day today, and I know several of y'all feel me, is that my need for support is not being met. And by and that is not directed to anybody. So don't go spreading gossip and getting excited that I'm about to be on here telling all my business. I just mean in general, as a mom who has six children with different schedules that need to be in different places at different times with different dietary restrictions, I wish that I had like a chef and a driver and a housekeeper and all of the things. And so my need for support is not being met. The peak of my day is that I'm a creative and critical thinker who can figure out how to meet my needs. That is an affirmation that I say to myself that I truly believe, and it's the power of critical thinking and creativity that we can figure out how to create solutions to our problems. And a lot of times people ask me like, how do you have so much patience with children? How do you stay patient in the moment when they have challenging behaviors? How do you not lose your poop? And part of that is by recognizing needs, recognizing my own needs, but more so it's about something that I was trained in as a teacher, which is called nonviolent communication. Now I had to kind of preface it with the whole, how do you stay patient? Because I feel like if I just throw out nonviolent communication, NVC, it sounds boring. And you're like, Sharice, <laughs> what are we doing today? I don't want to hear about that. Tell me how to sleep train my child. But NVC nonviolent communication, also known as needs-based languaging, has been one of the most powerful tools for me in working with children in my classroom, in raising my own children, in raising myself, and in having that so-called patience and a little bit more peace than maybe some of us experience in the really challenging moments. And that's not to say that I don't have challenging moments that are filled with stress and all the other things. But for the most part, because of my training and practice, right? Like you learn and then you create a habit and that's how you do something. Because of the habit of the practice and the learning, it does at least allow me to show up like I look patient, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes people will be like, you handle that so well. And inside, I feel like I'm on fire, but at least I can still have control of my choices and my actions and show up in a way that I feel like won't forever harm my child or my relationship with my child or myself. So we're going to talk about that today. And nonviolent communication is exactly what it sounds, right? It's the idea that you are communicating in a way that is not violent. When we talk about violence, obviously that word is pretty aggressive and strong. So we kind of think of like physical violence. I think that many of you can connect with the feeling of when people or someone in your life has said something to you a certain way 
or in a certain tone or with certain gestures that it can feel violent. It can fill you with shame. It can fill you with guilt. It can fill you with doubt and it can make you feel unsafe. And I feel like that term, you feel unsafe or you feel safe, it's kind of trending right now. Have you ever had a situation, and it might have been with your parent when you were younger, where you tell them something or you're honest about something and you're scared to be honest about it because you worry about how they're going to react. And then they react in a way where you feel shame, you feel guilt, and you ultimately feel like, man, I wish I hadn't hadn't had told you that. You are not the one I can talk to about this. That's that feeling of safety that I'm talking about. Like, I can't trust you with this kind of information. I can't trust you with this kind of honesty. When there's no trust, there's no safety. So using language and communicating in a way that does not feel aggressive and does not feel violent, that is what NVC is about. And a huge part of that is about understanding and meeting needs. One of the things that I love so much about NVC is that we often hear about this idea of compromise. Like anytime you're in a relationship, it's going to be full of compromises. You're going to have to give and take. And while I agree to that to a certain extent, I also love that NVC teaches you don't have to compromise your needs. It allows both parties to meet each of their needs in a way that happens with compassion and with respect. And so especially for us as moms and dads, like being able to meet our needs is important. And so often in parenting, we've kind of been given this message of, you know, just meet your child's needs and you come last. And then we feel dried up and we feel out of gas and we feel run down. So NVC is something that helps us to meet the needs of our child help us meet our own needs, where we are not having to sacrifice our needs so that our child's needs can be met. And they are not having to sacrifice their needs so that our needs can be met. Now, I want to start with a story. And it's a little bit of a dramatic story. It's probably one of the most dramatic stories I have to share. But I'm going to share it because I think that it's important. So I will get to my point. Just bear with me as I get through this story. It is important to the idea and concept of NVC and how we begin to implement it into our life. So as a teacher, I had a three-year-old in my classroom and she had been with me for a while and she was potty trained and had been potty trained for about a year She goes to the bathroom and after she uses the bathroom, we smell a strong smell and we're like, oh, she pooped. Not only did she poop, but we walked into that bathroom to make sure the toilet was flushed, make sure she washed her hands, all that good stuff. And she had somehow taken that poop and smeared it all over the toilet and smeared it all over the floor and smeared it all over the wall. Now, clearly, this is a dramatic story. Because most of you are probably not dealing with a child who is smearing poop all over the place. But the reason I'm telling this story is because this is the type of action that probably would have caused us to lose our shit. Right. I apologize. Beep that out. I don't know. But if you see shit all over the place, you're going to lose your shit. But I didn't. And I didn't not only because I'm a teacher and I'm paid not to and I got to worry about, you know, how I address these things. But in all honesty, because I'm trained to look at these things objectively and find out what's going on. And again, 
Look at this as like, oh, this behavior is an unmet need. Now, that is one of the hardest times to look at a behavior and say, this is an unmet need, right? <laughs> but it helps you to stay calm in that moment to be able to respond instead of like reacting, right? I know so many of you are probably wondering like, well, but what did you do? What happened, right? So of course, like first step, we had her clean it up. And I don't even want to get too deep into this story because the story is not the point. The point is that you can have the most outrageous experience with a child and you can still find a fair level of patience and peace and choice and control in how you respond to the situation. So one of the first things I want to tell you when it comes to nonviolent communication is that you're always going to lead with compassion and validation. I know you know what compassion means, but like in this instance, right, with this child, compassion looks more like what caused her to do this in the sense of like she something's going on with her and not just why did you do this, right? So compassion allows us to step back and look at this as truly being a need that's not met and a severe need that's not met and focusing on meeting the need rather than correcting the behavior. And both have to happen, right? We do have to correct behavior and teach them how to make better choices and teach them how to express themselves in healthy ways. So we are going to address things with compassion. And when I say we're going to address things with validation, compassion and validation, validation might sound like, you must be really upset or you must really be going through something to smear poop all over the wall. Validation is not, that's okay that you put poop on the wall. Let's just clean it up. Validation is having the compassion to understand that the cause is sad or upsetting or something that really warrants the compassion that allows you to validate the fact that they feel that way while teaching them healthy ways to express those feelings. So nonviolent communication is composed of like four actionable steps that you can do, right? And you're going to want to write these down if you can. They're just one word, so you can probably remember them, or you can always come back and listen to this again, take notes, however you need to do it. But the four steps are one, observe, two, feelings, three, needs, and four, requests. Now, observation is probably one of the most important parts of this, if not the most important part for us to be able to address things and have that patience, right? And of course, when we observe, we're going to observe with compassion, validation, but also it allows you to have that patience in that moment in between response and reaction. And when we talk about observation, this actually takes us back to our Pillar P, which is perception, right? So a lot of times when our children behave a certain way or they do something, what we do is we meet the behavior with observing what the behavior is, interpreting what the behavior is, telling a story about the behavior, and then responding to the interpretation and the story as opposed to just observing what the behavior is. So for instance, I recently had someone tell me a child was having snack and they dropped their peaches on the floor. They dropped their bowl of peaches on the floor. The teacher tried to offer them something else. They didn't want anything else. They got mad. Ultimately, they ended up throwing themselves down on the floor. They're on the floor face down. Hands and feet are kicking, right? Teacher had to pick them up, take them to a different room. The story that the teacher told me, he threw his peaches on the floor. 
When I told him he could have bananas instead of peaches, he then threw his body on the floor so that he could get peaches instead of bananas. I ended up having to take him to another room to calm him down, where at that other room, he chose to throw things at me because he was mad at me for taking him to another room. That sounds legit. It sounds good. It also is frustrating when you are that person in the moment and you feel like this child has just thrown their peaches on the floor. You're mad because... They are not respecting the food that you gave them. They're not respecting the space. you got to clean it up. And most of the time, even when we're telling the story, like we don't say all the parts of our interpretation. But generally as adults, that is our interpretation in the story. Like now I got to clean this up. I worked to cut those peaches and put them in a bowl for him. He doesn't appreciate it. He threw it on the floor. I got to clean up. He's disrespecting me. All of this stuff, right? Now he throws himself on the floor. Again, we start to get frustrated because we're like, oh, he's throwing himself on the floor because I'm not giving him what he wants. That's the interpretation. That's the story. So I pick him up. I take him in the other room. Now he's throwing toys at me because he's mad I brought him in the room. Interpretation. He's throwing toys because he's mad at me. And again, now it's become personal, right? All these things he's doing, they're personal. They're directed towards you. You are being disrespected. Your authority isn't being respected. Your hard work isn't being respected. So in this moment, which is probably like two, three minutes, we have told ourselves several stories based on how we've interpreted the actions, all of the stories which make us very frustrated and upset and put us in a place of like defense and wanting to get our control back and all of these things, right? If we just look at it objectively, just observing the situation, it would sound like this. Your peaches are on the floor. That's the observation. I don't have to add the story that he threw his peaches on the floor. The observation, if I were to look at it in moments of just like snapshot pictures, it's that his peaches were on the table. Now his peaches are on the floor. What does this do when I tell the child that observation? Oh, I see that your peaches are on the floor. Rather than, why'd you throw your peaches on the floor? One, the observation of just saying, I see that your peaches are on the floor, takes away from me judging him and putting him on the defense. The point is when I'm communicating with him to have a more peaceful, productive communication, I want to be on the same side as him. So I don't want to start off my communication with him putting him on the defense, putting him on the other side, because if he's on defense, that means I'm on offense and we're on opposing sides, but we want to be on the same team. So automatically I'm going to address this and I'm going to say, oh, your peaches are on the floor. What should we do? The question, what should we do? That goes to needs, right? If if a two, three-year-old, I think he was about three years old, one of the needs for three-year-olds is like autonomy, this feeling of getting older and I want to do things on my own. So ask him the question, what should we do? It gives him a little bit of choice, gives him a little bit of autonomy. Again, we're working on cooperation and being on the same team. This alone probably would have avoided him being on the floor. But now let's look at it objectively and just observe what happened after. So he, quote, throws himself on the floor, unquote. Rather than saying, you threw yourself on the floor, get up. Again, I would state the observation, your body's on the floor. (laughs) It's not safe for your body to be on the floor. It's dirty or someone might step on you or trip on you. I'm going to help move your body. So again, the observation, what it does is it does two things for both yourself and the child. It allows you to not feel personally attacked by the child and their actions, which allows you more patience. And again, I think this is a hard one for people because so often like, 
we are so committed to not being made a fool of that we are not going to let anybody else, nevertheless, some child do something to us and we don't even realize how they're treating us. It's not about realizing that they're treating you a certain way or realizing that you're disrespect they're disrespecting you. I mean, at the end of the day, like they are or they aren't. <laughs> that doesn't need to change how I address something. It doesn't need to change how I show up, right? And for me, I've decided that I want to be a particular type of person. I want to be in control of my emotions and my choices. I had a, a child who's now 13, 14 years old. He commented on one of my TikToks. I'm not really on TikTok, but he commented on one of my TikToks and he commented, uh, still the best teacher I've ever had. This is someone who was in my preschool when he was one and a half to four years old. He's 14 now commenting on my stuff saying, you're still the, te the best teacher I've ever had. That's what I want. So if there were moments with that particular child where maybe he threw himself on the floor, I was not concerned with he's disrespecting me. I was concerned with how can I respect myself by showing up as the teacher I want to show up as. And I do that by just observing the situation and not taking it personally. How do I get him to cooperate with me and uplift him and empower him because that's my job as teacher or that's my job as parent? I don't judge the behavior. I observe it. I state it objectively. So the second part is feelings, right? Once you've observed it, we're going to look at the feelings. Now, obviously, if a child is on the floor kicking and screaming, they feel a certain way. They might feel angry. They might feel sad. And again, when you think about this, when you take the personal attack out of it, when you take the interpretation and the story out of it, and you're just observing it, and now you connect their feeling to their behavior, you have compassion. Oh, this is not someone that's attacking me. This is someone that's hurt. This is someone that's disappointed. And again, you can state it as an observation. I see you're really upset right now. And that takes us into number three, need. I see that you're upset. What are you needing, right? And most times, like, I'm not telling you to ask a child, what do you need? Depending on how old your child is, they're not going to be able to just answer you. Oh, well, actually, I'm in need of some autonomy right now. They're not going to say that. So as the parent, it is our job to help them discover what their needs are, to help them learn what their needs are. Same thing with feelings. We might guess what they're feeling and we might be wrong. They might be looking like they're feeling angry and they might actually be disappointed and it's coming off as anger. So some of this sometimes is a matter of kind of like getting curious with your child as you're connecting to them, asking questions, helping them to figure out what they're feeling, what they're needing. And in the process, we're giving them the language. By giving them the language, we're giving them those healthier tools and those healthier responses so that they don't have to throw themselves on the floor. They can learn over time to connect to what they're needing, to connect to what they're feeling and why what need is not being net, met that is causing the feeling so that they can ask for what they need. So we're just filling their tool bag. And a lot of times people ask me, the question that comes with this is like, well, how old do you start doing this? How old are you telling them, you know, asking them what they're feeling, talking to them about needs? At what age can they start doing this? And again, this is going to vary depending on the child. But in terms of how old can you start doing this? Early, as soon as you bring them home from the hospital. When I brought my newborns home from the hospital and they would cry 
I would recognize whether their cry was because they're hungry or tired or they just pooped. And I would say the language to them. Oh, you're crying. Observation. You must be feeling sad. Observation and meeting the feeling. Are you needing to eat? Are you needing a diaper change? And I talk to them and walk them through that process while they're in it at one month old, six days old. What does this do? It fills their tool bag. I'm giving them the language. It increases their language. It increases their ability to access the language later on when they have the cognitive ability to. In past episodes, we've talked a little bit about brain development. Go back and listen to those. But it fills their tool bag. We're not always going to see the results with the child. And I think that's a harsh truth and a harsh reality. But we as parents get our children during the phase of time where they are growing up, where they are developing, where they are learning. It's kind of like we're the teacher that like teaches them all year, but then they leave before they actually take the test. And we might not get the test results. They're going to take these tests as adults, right? So our job is filling their tool bag, giving them the tools, making sure that they have the tools. And yes, practicing with them. And that sounds like if your child just threw themselves on the floor, you're like, oh, I see your body's on the floor. Could you be feeling upset? Are you needing more food in this case, right? Would you be willing to say that you need more food? I would love to be able to help you, but I can't hear you when your body's on the floor. Can you say, I'm sad that my peaches are on the floor? I'm sad that my peaches are on the floor, right? Like they're maybe not going to be able to do it on their own right away, but we are training them and teaching them and having them practice. And believe it or not, the more that we do this, the earlier and sooner that they can actually do it. I've had five-year-olds who can tell me, I'm feeling frustrated that I can't tie my shoe I want to be able to do it on my own. I'm five. I want to be a big kid now. Can you help me? Whatever it is, you know, I've had my seven-year-old who has come back to me after a major behavioral, emotional uproar and say, you know what, mom? I think I overreacted. I think I was just hangry. That's a true story. I've literally had my child come back to me and correct her behavior and apologize for her behavior. And I can see that she's getting it. She's on her way. Now, the great thing about needs, this is about your needs and their needs, right? And I think it's so important to understand needs. And when I started this episode, I said my need for support wasn't being met, but actually my need for stability isn't being met. Why did I mention that? Because a lot of times we have this notion that our needs can only come from one place, that our needs are that specific thing. And when we think that way, It makes it very hard for us to get our needs met because we see a one option, one roadway to get our needs met rather than trying to figure out what the base of the need is. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So a lot of times I'll have have parents ask me the question like, I told them to turn off the TV and they're telling me that they have a need for TV, right? A child doesn't have a need for TV. That's not a need. When we're looking at needs, we're talking about like food, shelter, water, love, connection, autonomy, independence, self-actualization, feeling value, feeling worth. These are needs. These are foundational needs that every human being has. And then those needs manifest in different ways. And we meet those needs in different ways. So when you have a child that says like, I need to watch TV, and you're sitting here stuck like, okay, well, uh, needs-based languaging. They need to watch TV, but TV needs to go off. The need isn't TV. You know, you have to get a little bit curious. You have to communicate with your child a little bit to find out what the need is. Maybe the need is stimulation, and they get that from TV. 
Maybe the need is rest. And they get that from TV. One of the greatest things children are looking for is control. And they are looking to control their emotions and their bodies. It does not feel good. As adults, we can recognize how horrible it feels when we feel out of control of our bodies, like our emotions, what we're feeling, what we're thinking. It feels horrible. And so our children whose brains aren't fully developed and they don't have all the impulse control and they don't have all the control, it doesn't feel good inside of their bodies a lot of times. So they're looking for rest and they can't control how they get the rest. When you give them yoga, when you give them meditation and they sit and they try it and they actually realize like, wow, I can control my body sitting still for a moment or I can control being in this little space and my body's still wiggling a little bit, but I, I have a sense of control and a sense of peace. They love it. So again, when they're saying, but I need TV, find out what that need is. You can meet it in different ways, right? This is one I hear from parents all the time. I'm like, yeah, but I need my child to get, my, get their shoes on. How do I work around that? The only thing is getting their shoes on. I challenge you to think about what that need really is. Oftentimes, when we say things like, I need my children to get in the car by this time, and I need them to put on their shoes so they can get in the car. The question is like, why? Why do you need to get in the car? Well, because I need to be to work. Why do you need to be to work? Because I need an income. Why do you need an income? Because I need to pay my bills. Why do you need to pay your bills? Because I need to eat, right? There it is, foundational need. (laughs) You need food, shelter, stability. These are foundational needs. So believe it or not, these times that you're sitting here thinking like, I need my child to get my sh- their shoes on, what you really ultimately need is stability. What you really ultimately need is a feeling of worth, value, and contribution. You need to be to your job on time, not because your boss said be here at nine o'clock, because you want to feel like you're a valuable contribution to society, right? That's why it's important to you. Recognizing these needs helps us because, again, it allows us other avenues to meet our needs, but it also allows us to not get so pissed off when the shoes aren't getting on in, t- on in time because we recognize that the need is not the shoes. The need is stability. The need is being a valuable contributor to, to society. And we can still meet those needs. I'm not saying we can still meet those needs being late. I'm saying that when we are able to shift our perspective and recognize what our needs truly are, we are not so mad about the shoes. And now we are not so frustrated with our child, but we may realize, all right, we got to do these shoes 20 minutes earlier because they are not helping me meet my need for stability. They are not helping me meet my need for value and productivity. So when you think about needs, when you think about every time you find yourself about to say, I need you to get in the bath, right? When I tell my children, I need you to get in the bath, what I am actually saying is, I need y'all to get ready for sleep because I need my moment to myself. So once we have gone through making the observation, recognizing the feeling, and the feeling goes both ways, right? I see that you feel sad. You can also let them know, you know what? I feel sad when you throw the peaches that I got you on the floor. I think this is a valuable part too because it is hard to get rid of the interpretation of the story. It is hard to get rid of the story. It's about where we place it in the communication. So if you are struggling and you're like, Sharice, I'm having such a hard time just observing and not interpreting and not putting the story, put your story and your interpretation as your feelings. 
All of these things that happen are personal to them, personal to you. They don't have to be directed towards them. Their actions don't need to be directed towards you. So you're making the observation, you're stating the feeling, whether that's their feeling or your feeling, you're recognizing what the need is, and then you're making a request. And when we make requests in nonviolent communication, you are making clear and concise requests using positive action. What does positive action mean? It means instead of saying things like, don't throw your toys, you say things like, toys are for building. You can throw a ball. It's something positive. It's something you can do, not something you cannot do. If your child is jumping on the couch, instead of don't jump on the couch, you say, oh, the couch is for sitting. That's a positive action. You can sit on the couch. If you want to jump, we can go outside. Right. So you're giving them a clear, concise request with a positive with using positive action language. The other thing you're doing when you're making it clear and concise is you're doing you're giving them something or making a request that they can do right now. If your request is like, stop frustrating me, that's so abstract. They don't know what to do with that. It's not clear. It's not concise. It's not something they can stop right now. What you can say is like, will you please go play outside in 30 seconds, four or five minutes, whatever it is that you need? Will you please sit down at the table while we eat dinner? You're giving them very clear, concise, positive, actionable steps that they can do right then, right there in the moment. A big one when it comes to needs and requests and meeting both needs is this concept, and I hear it all the time, and I feel it all the time. It's like we have a whole long day, whether you work in or out of the house, you've been working all day long. Your kids are home from school. It's the end of the day. You are probably overstimulated, you're overwhelmed, you're tired, and you have a need for rest. You have a need for self-care. And that need might come at the very same moment that your child has a need for connection. And their need might come off with them hitting you or pulling on you or yelling your name over and over and over. And that's frustrating as hell because you need a moment, right? Oftentimes as parents, we sacrifice our needs. That parent guilt comes in and we're like, oh, I haven't seen them. They want to play. They want to read this book. I got to meet their needs. I got to play with them. Rest will have to wait, right? It doesn't have to. Nonviolent communication is about meeting your needs and their needs. And this can look one of several different ways. Let them know that you need a moment of rest, but you start with a hug, right? You give them a hug and say, oh, I just need a moment. Or one thing I have with my children is like our secret handshake or a hug that is specific to each child, because that builds on the connection. This is theirs. This is me and their hug, me and their kiss. That's solely for them. So maybe we start with that and I say, I cannot wait to sit with you and play with you. But first, I need five minutes to rest. I need five minutes to gather my thoughts, whatever it is. So I'm going to give you this hug and in five minutes we'll play or 15 minutes we'll play. Here's what you can do while you wait for me. Sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't, but both of your needs are going to get met. 
their need for connection, your need for rest. Sometimes I personally choose the other route. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to give you your need for connection. I'm going to wait until after I put you to bed to meet my need for self-care and time for myself so that I can have an extended one. And sometimes I need both. Maybe I need five minutes and then later I'm going to meet my need. With both of those, I'm either making a plan to myself saying this is going to happen at this time, or I'm making a plan with my child saying this is going to happen at this time. In both cases, I'm connecting, whether it's to myself or my child. I'm connecting. I'm making a plan. And by making a plan, I'm empowering myself or my child to know that there is some control over this situation. I'm letting them know I'm giving them that sense of security and stability. Your needs will be met. My needs will be met. And that's what helps me to have patience. It's what sustains me to be able to make it to the point where I can take care of myself. But again, I'm recognizing my needs for self-care. I'm not waiting till I'm worn down and run out and don't have anything left to be even able to access the tips, tools, four steps of NVC, whatever it is. Now, my friends, I want to let you know that I see that several people are in our podcast for the culture club. So we have a podcast club. I think you've heard about it. It's on Google Classrooms and it's free. And I see that there are several people in there. And I feel a little bit alone because I have a need for connection. So I'm wondering if you would be willing to go on there sometime today and just post the peak and pit of your day. Now, y'all see what I did there? I made an observation, I stated the feeling, I stated the need, and I made a request. And I also meant it. I would love for you guys to show up on the Parenting for the Culture podcast club. I would love for you guys to connect with me there and connect with each other there. You can find that link on my Instagram page at Sheree Sims. You can also find the link right here in the show notes. And go join us there. And your homework for this week, because I love to give homework, is to write down the affirmation that I started with when I shared the peak of my day, because it's true for me and it's also true for you. I want you to write down and memorize, I am a creative and critical thinker who can figure out how to meet my needs. That's it, that's your homework. Now, if you have any questions about NVC, needs-based languaging, recognizing needs, or just challenging behavior, any questions at all, I want you to send them to me over at podcasts with an S at blacklove.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at Sheree Sims, or you can fill out the Google form right here in the show notes. I really appreciate you guys coming here and listening to this podcast week after week. Share it with a friend. You guys are helping me to meet my need for valuable contribution. So I really appreciate you and I thank you and I will see you all here next week. Peace out, friends. Mm -hmm.